0: Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Today i talk to Ryan Anastal, Director of LPR Advisory a progressive sole practitioner that took the plunge and looked for solutions outside the box to address his capacity and talent issues. Not only has he reaped the benefits of efficiency and profit, but also on creating improved and more meaningful client relationships that in turn deliver greater business outcomes. As Ryan said, accounting is still very much a trust game. And although trust is moving online, like Twitter and review sites, a glowing recommendation from a close friend makes a huge difference. Listen to Ryan's story. Ryan, give us an overview of your team structure, your local team, your offshore team, how many
1: team members have you got, and how long have you um, been up and running? Yeah, so, um, you know, the team structure at the moment has changed a lot over the last uh, maybe 67 years since been in business uh, for myself in terms of the local team and the offshore team. Uh, at the moment, it is uh, just myself locally. So, it's myself and I've got two team members in Clark in the Philippines.
0: Wonderful. And how long have they been um, with you now, the the two team members? Yeah.
1: Two girls were uh, being part of the team for about two and a half years now, so quite a quite a while. It's uh, been, you know, it it seems, yeah, like just the, the norm now. We're so used to it, and uh, you know, we've been able to kind of strike up a, a really strong, um, a great strong relationship and and bond and team dynamic with the with the girls in the park. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So,
0: Ryan, do you have a niche market that you deal with?
1: We do. We we do specialize in trade and professional services businesses, especially um, especially kind of the younger, growing uh owner operators of those kind of businesses so we've got a lot of plumbers electricians landscapers um from the trade side of things and then you know architects graphic designers uh that that kind of mob so all service-based businesses they've all got their similarities and and like i said that's that's the industry niche that we focus focus on Uh, but we also one of our other focuses that we've realized just through kind of uh, analyzing the, the client base is that we we you know have a lot of young uh growing businesses so you know We really only take on businesses that are that are looking to expand and and make a lot of changes and in it for the long term we don't we don't have too many older, you know, static or or retiring kind of clients. Yeah, that's awesome. Love
0: Mm -hmm. hearing the stories of um Business is being built by design as opposed to default. Um, So Ryan, tell us about the story of setting up your offshore team. So it's obviously only you. So what were your motivations behind doing this first? Obviously, the other priorities that as a sole practitioner where the business is you um, that Mm -hmm. you obviously have.
1: Yeah, so the I mean, at, at the time of um, you know looking into and and setting up the offshore team, we actually had a couple of uh, local staff members, but the motivation was really um, just around increasing capacity. So being a young, growing. Um, you know, accounting firm ourselves and, um, you know, getting a lot of clients in that space. Um, You know, once we got on, you know, some of those clients, we realised that they needed just more and more services and more work. So uh, we filled up our capacity pretty quickly and um, we just needed to look for staff. So the motivation really came around, you know, getting a couple of local staff, having some ups ups and downs with local staff um, and then just needing to to increase capacity and finding it hard to find uh, good quality, um, you know, reliable local staff. So... Uh, it was kind of forced upon us in terms of putting it to the top of our priority list, um, looking into the, the offshore team side of things.
0: Excellent. So how did you go about setting up? How did you go about researching, finding a partner, the recruiting and onboarding because um, obviously it is you doing
1: all of that. What was the process and how long did it take? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the process for us in terms of researching and 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 looking into it was um, was really we just we just had another uh, Australian accountant that. Um, You know, we we knew and and we kind of put the feelers out there to a couple of other people about our uh, local staffing frustrations, I guess, and, and had a few chats to other people in the industry and out of some of those conversations popped up that you know there was there were some firms trying offshoring and you know having some success and, and things like that so um you know like like a lot of people looking for accountants we rather than you know doing it a whole lot of um you know research from scratch ourselves it was really our trusted network of people that we we looked to um and and got some referrals and experiences off them and and followed those up so you know through a through another accountant that referred us onto Toa, um you know we were we were already kind of um, pretty pretty happy with the feedback we're getting from them. So we just contacted Teller and got a, uh, a meeting with uh, Ali at the time and, and she came to our offices in Sydney and, and met with us and talked us through us and that that, that gave us a lot more confidence about the professionalism and, and you know, the structure of, of how this goes because, uh, you know, originally, like many people, you know, thinking about offshoring, we just didn't know where to start and, you know, there were so many unknowns. We, we were kind of, you know, pretty pretty hesitant and, and you know, risk averse in terms of, um, you know, thinking about a lot of the, a lot of the things that, uh, the stereotypes of, of, you know, security and and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we wanted to take it slow, but uh, yeah, got in touch with Toa, had the had the me- meeting with the local account manager, and uh, from then it was really straightforward. I mean, we just talked through the, the process. Uh, it seemed pretty simple. We got a uh, we lined up a couple of you know what came out of that original meeting came a um, probably I think it was about five or six uh, Skype interviews with candidates um, in the Clark office over the next. Probably within a week, we got we got we you know scheduled in some some Skype interviews to get the the recruitment side of things going, and uh, and that was the start of it. Yeah,
0: excellent, excellent. And you took the plunge, which is you know two and a half years into it now. So, look for exactly. someone looking to for someone looking to set up an offshore team. What advice would you give them to enable them to move as quickly as possible? What would be the three most critical things that you would spend time on?
1: So for for someone looking to to set up the team. Um, I guess where we, you know, we learnt from our own experience. I guess um, definitely, I'd say that you, you know, you ensure you have a system, and if you don't have a good, um, you know, system of processes and procedures and things like that in your practice, um, then then make sure you do. Like that's it's always, um, you know, good to have that foundation of, of running your business locally, um, you know, before you expand it offshore. I'd say I'd say so. You know, in terms of advice, to make sure that that transition from putting on your first offshore staff members happens. Um, you know, quickly and and successfully to begin with, Uh, yeah, just make sure you've got a system because, you know, a lot of the, I think a lot of the accounting firms out there, they're just used to, um, you know, trusted, qualified staff in the office just getting things done without too much guidance and direction. Um, And if you operate like that in your local business and you try and, uh, you know, scale that or duplicate that off with your offshore team. You're going to you're going to have some issues. So it's good to to make sure that you've got the system and, and processes and procedures in your in your firm already set and and to go to begin with. Um, once you've got that and and you've you know gone down like you said, taken the plunge and and got some uh, you know recruited some some offshore team members. Definitely training. Um, so training initially, um, you know, really dedicate a lot of time, especially, say, in the first two weeks and and mainly in the first six months to to training the offshore team and getting them up to speed and, and familiar with, you know, how you operate the business and things like that. So, we, we found with our team members that, um, you know, one, one of the surprising benefits was just the quality of, um, you know, the English language um, skills and and even the accounting skills. Like both my team members are uh, trained CPA accountants. So, you know, from an accounting point of view, or bookkeeping point of view, that's pretty global, I think, the skill set. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of training in the actual number crunching or, or even in communication and technology. Um, I think a lot of the a lot of the accounting firms will find, uh, you know, we're pretty cloud-based and paperless and and technology savvy. But a lot of the the guys might find that the offshore staff are actually more tech savvy than you know some of their local team or the partners of the accounting firm themselves. So that's all fine in in terms of training. I think the guys have that skill set. So it's just getting them up to speed on the uh, Australian tax legislation that you know. You can sometimes take for granted when you realise that someone's quite good at accounting and and all the other things. You don't realise that they they haven't had that experience with uh, you know the, even the basic Australian tax stuff. So it's getting them all up to speed on that and then um, you know really just integrating them into the um, into the firm in terms of the training. So that uh, you know I kind of said on the, in the first two weeks and then the first six months of the are the big uh, time periods and then also um, visiting face to face. I think it's really important. Um, a lot of um, Presumptions and assumptions of of how things work and how people um, you know who people are and how they operate uh, are kind of squashed when when you actually visit you know go over to Philippines and, and sit down in the office with the guys and you and you know and you can actually sit face to face for maybe the first, you know a week or two weeks in the first couple of months that they're on board I think that makes a big difference in uh, you know integrating them into the into the business and getting everything up and running um, you know from day one.
0: Yeah, great. So, if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value of, that your offshore team provides, what would it be?
1: Just uh, one one word's pretty hard, I guess, they're, um, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're so important and integral to the business, it's hard to just describe the guys in one word, but uh, if I did have to bring it down, I'd probably say, uh, I'd actually use the word invaluable. Um, you know, they're, they're vitally important, as I said before, um, it's just myself and, and the team members in Clark at the moment. So, uh, you know, it's a two to one uh, offshore onshore relate, uh, ratio, which is, um, you know, not that common. So, uh, you know, it really means that I rely on on those guys to to do a lot of the crunch, uh, number crunching and, and keep the cogs moving in the business, um, which allows me to go out there and, and meet with clients and, um, you know, serve them and, and do a lot of the higher end value add work which, um, you know, keeps our business in the best position and and keeps us on top of all our client work. So without them, um, you know, I'd really be lost. So they're they're really invaluable to the business. And um, if I had to make, uh, you know, one other comment or or one other word, um, you know, that describes the value they bring, they bring a lot of perspective as well. You know, you don't realise until you have, um, you know, the team over there that, uh, you know, and, and I haven't you know, done a lot of travel. I've I've been, you know, in a few different countries in the world and things like that. But it's very easy to get stuck inside your uh, your little your little office in Australia, crunching out ta- tax returns, and just thinking that uh, you know the full world the full walls around you is, is the whole world. But when you uh, actually go over there and realise that uh, you know these the guys you know six hundred kilometres away in a totally different country, um, you know there's they can you know it's a very similar operation in terms of the the language and the culture and the technology that's used and uh, it really, it really, it's made me think in my business, not just with the offshoring, but with a lot of different aspects of the business. It's given me the perspective to think actually, this is um, a solution I d- hadn't thought of until someone had raised it with me. Um, you know, offshoring in terms of a solution for our staffing issues, uh, and it really gives you the perspective to think actually, what other, uh, what other solutions that are outside the box that I haven't really thought about before um, could there be? Once you realise that uh, you know this is a, this is a really good solution for staffing.
0: Excellent. So, perceptions of offshoring, what are the main things that you've heard
1: and what surprised you the most? What have I heard? So, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say there's too many surprises. I think what um, what I see from, you know, the accounting profession in Australia, a lot of the, a lot of the per- perceptions are very uh, common. So, you've just got the usual suspects really, which is, um, you know, people have perception that there's security issues in terms of having data offshore and, and work being done offshore. Um, and then there's also... Probably the other two would be there's a perception that it's just cheap labour, like that's why you're doing it. It's it's because they're cheaper and it's, you know, it's, um, that whole, you know, Chinese uh, sweatshop mentality um, is, is another, I, I think, uh, perception and, and definitely a wrong perception. Uh, and then the other one would be the people that are uh, not totally adverse to it and, and already put it out of their mind, which is, you know, a lot of the people that, raise the security and the, and the cheap labor perceptions uh, that the people that are looked into it or, or maybe got some bad feedback would be that there's limitation on the, um, the skill and maybe the potential of the staff over there. And and the real, the perception of offshoring is, you know, it's us first them. It's a transactional relationship. And, and you know, I've come to find myself through my own experience that that's, uh, you know, that couldn't be further from the truth. So definitely the biggest three, um, you know wrong perceptions in my opinion would be security cheap labor and uh, the limitation of of what you can get the staff to do and and the relationship and the and the structure you can build out of it
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more, particularly around the perception of security. I mean, look, the facilities overseas are a lot more watertight than a lot of the local practices and um, it's interesting when firms start to go down this journey and actually see all the issues that they have locally as opposed to their new global team um, and what they thought they would, the things that they would have to deal with are more locally as opposed to in their global team.
1: Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think with the from a security point of view, I feel like one, the the fact of of you know implementing the offshore team has forced us and and you know really brought security to a forefront because it was one of our um you know concerns when we first did it. So, you know, having that as a concern, um, you know, where we might have been a little bit lax about that with the local team meant that we actually, you know, put the put the thought in the um you know, put it as a priority and, and made sure we got our security right, not just for the um, the offshore team, but then enforced a lot of things that we should have already been enforcing with the onshore team that we hadn't. So it kind of, you know, brought us into the future in that respect and and really got us up to speed with the um, security. And then once we, uh, you know, kind of, you know, reviewed the security again, uh, you know, I'm sure that you, uh, you know, said this many times before, but the security in the offshore team and, and the, the processes and procedures around all that kind of stuff is, is far, far better than the majority of, uh local Australian accounting firms implement security in their firms with, with their staff in terms of the data security and, and, um, and fraud and risk and, and all those kind of things. So, yeah, I don't think security is an issue at all. In fact, our security is uh, far better now than it, than it was uh, before we had the offshore team.
0: Yeah, great. So, Ryan, tell us a little bit about the year ahead. What's your plan with your offshore team? How do you plan to keep growing your team, their capability and their performance?
1: We've, we've kind of been pretty stagnant, I guess, in terms of the, the growth or the plan for the offshore team in the in the past couple of years. I mean, we've had um, the two staff members, but uh, we, we haven't really grown our team a lot um, lately, but that's, you know, we've worked internally on, on generating some efficiencies. So we're actually doing a lot more work and, and being far more effective and efficient with our client base um, than, you know, we, we were a few years ago. So it's allowed us to, to grow the business and improve profit profitability and um, as such without actually growing the team, but definitely for the, um, for the next two years will be to, to grow probably double the team it's you know it's not really that hard to, to double from two but uh I'd, I'd say to double the team um overseas and then to um to also grow the local team at the same um at the same pace yeah sorry in terms of um growing the the capabilities and performance is just um you know we're, we're always in, in I guess, improving or um, increasing the, the type of work and the skill set of um, of the team offshore. So there's always, you know, it started out, uh, you know, just a lot of um, bookkeeping and, and basic tax kind of work. But like I said before, the you know, the, the uh, two girls in our team are uh, CPA qualified accountants with, you know, I think, between 10, 15, 20 years experience. So, um, you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, trying to get the basic stuff done. There's the ability there. And I'll, I'll, like what I said before about people's perceptions of uh, limitation of skill in terms of growing the the performance and the capability of the team, it really is, the sky's the limit to a point in terms of, um, you know, there's some some quite complicated and, and complex and um, hard work that we can um you know actually get the offshore team to do and the, the longer they're on and the more they, they're training and and working the the more they can do in that respect so it's uh yeah improving every day which is great yeah,
0: excellent so what are some recommendations that you would have for our listeners on what on some of the things that you recommend they do in managing an offshore team in managing the offshore team
1: i'd uh, similar similar to what i said before i guess um in terms of really it comes down to communication and systems, I think, in, in managing the offshore team. So I can't say enough about communication. Um, you know, I'm not always the best at that, but I, I really do make a point to, you know, keeping constant communication with the team. Um, I see some people and, you know, again, like we talked about perceptions before of people thinking there's a transactional relationship there. I think um, the best way to manage the team is definitely not to think about it as a as a transactional relationship of sending work uh, in one direction and getting work back in the other direction. It's all about, um, you know, working with them and um, you know, keeping, um, you know, them knowing you're there, having a point of contact in Australia if you've got a bigger team, where you know, um, making sure that they know who to who to talk to if they've got problems and things, and and always getting back to them on um, you know questions they have with jobs and and expectations for the work that they need to be doing and things like that. So um, yeah, definitely keep the communication up, and and if you do. Um, you know, drop off in in terms of communicating with the offshore team, you you'll notice you know a drop off in terms of productivity because it's it's really important for them to be able to ask questions and get feedback and and get clear instructions of what's going on. So, that that you know really feeds into the other two points I said about systems and and um, clear instructions or expectations. That if you've got the you know the systems and processes, and we spend a lot of time generating a lot of um, procedures for, for how we do things in our business and and the team offshore have actually been a, a large part of building those systems and procedures because, um, you know, in terms of the culture and, and the way that, um, you know, maybe they've, you know, been trained to work or the, or the way they like to work is very um, system driven over there. So, it is, you know, really important to have um, some guidance and systems so it helps the guys over there do their job better. And, um, you know, if they get stuck, there's there's little places they can go to try and figure out problems because they do have the propensity to, uh, you know, to try and figure something out and not wanting to hassle you. And they can, um, you know, spend a little bit more time than what you might like on those kind of things if you, if you don't have the systems in place to keep them on track. And then, yeah, like I said, clear instructions. So you, you just you've really got to. Uh, keep the communication and make sure that everybody's on the same page. They know what uh, what the expectation for the job is, you know, in terms of how long to spend on it and what the outcome of the job is. Um, you know, maybe I found initially I think I got the impression that, uh, you know, the accounting training in, in the Philippines might be more audit focused. So uh, that doesn't lend itself, uh, you know, to a, to a smooth transition into a, a small, uh, you know, tax compliance-based accounting firm in terms of, um, you know, maybe spending too much time on, on immaterial things and when, you know, we just got to focus on getting the job done right and getting the, the you know, the outcome to the client. So uh, if you can communicate that to the team, then, you know, you'll you'll, you'll find that the results are far better than if you don't.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Particularly with our clear instructions and expectations, and um, a lot of accounting firms, uh, one of the things that they learn quickly is that part. Um, particularly around getting feedback from the new team members. I mean, the Filipino culture is to generally just—they um, don't want to offend, so they're not going to tell you they don't understand. They'll just tell you, "Yes, we understand." Um, so reiterating and asking them the question again, and then asking them to re-explain it to you um, is always going to get a, a great outcome. Um, but the clear instructions—if you're not telling and what you need done and leaving it up so that it is a little bit grey, then obviously they can, it's easy to go off track. And that's not just in a global team, it's obviously with a local team. If you don't give clear instructions and expectations, then obviously um, you'll get the result that you get from that. So yeah, Ryan, yeah. yeah. So what KPIs do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? Uh,
1: in terms of KPIs, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I have to say KPIs are not my strength. Um, so we kind of keep it to a minimum uh, in in terms of KPIs, and because we don't do timesheets, and you know we don't do a few things other firms that your traditional accounting firm does, we really try and focus KPIs on you know outcome related rather than input related. Um, so you know rather than productivity or or time and write-offs and you know the traditional KPIs I was used to working with many years ago, uh, we try and focus on you know getting getting jobs out on time. So we've got a pretty uh, you know we we have a lot of reoccurring work. Um, that you know happens every week, every month and and you know, we we use carbon um, you know quite well very structured in terms of the workflow on what work is in progress at the moment, what's coming up and and when deadlines are. So one of our biggest KPIs is just um, you know we've got our due dates and our deadlines for for jobs. So it's just focusing on getting those jobs out on time. And you know if they're not on time we can review what went wrong and and look into the detail. And if they do then you know we know from from um, you know that we're on track to, to hit our targets. And that would probably lead into to my, you know, the other major KPI, which is just the weekly billing target. So if we're getting those jobs out on time and, um, you know, all the work's being being done as expected, we're usually hitting those weekly billing targets. And uh, yeah, like I said, that's more of an output related target of, of just knowing exactly what the expectation is of getting the amount of work and, and uh, you know, the amount of fees, I guess you call it out per week or, or per month. And as long as that's being met, uh, as long as those KPIs are being met, we, f- we find that uh, we don't have to spend too much time looking into, um, you know, other things that, you know, the other detail unless they're not and and then we can kind of work backwards and try and figure out what's going on. Yeah, awesome. So, Ryan, how has offshoring benefited your clients? It's benefited the clients, um, really, you know, the biggest benefit for for the clients um, that they see would be just the time. It's just allowing us to, um, you know, to spend more time visiting them, calling them, talking to them, um, you know, working on, you know, the, the, the higher end, bigger value stuff, um, the, the urgent stuff and the project. Thing. So, just from a capacity point of view, the, the fact that the team are there doing a lot of the work that often, you know, junior accountants, senior accountants and, and even partners can be kind of pulled back into when, uh, you know, when they have to if there's not the capacity to get that work done otherwise. Um, you know, and I think that's a, that's a problem in a lot of accounting firms that you've got quite qualified senior staff just doing basic work because, um, you know, there's just too much work that can handle and, you know, the deadlines are are coming up and and you've got these people that could be doing very high value, very, um, you know, important and proactive kind of work for clients, but they're just stuck doing, uh, you know, tax compliance or bookkeeping kind of work. It's crazy. So the fact that, you know, we've got the structure to be able to get a lot of that work done, um, you know, just allows the client to see more time, you know, spend more time with me and and get more, um, you know, kind of quality feedback and advice on their business. And um, and also, you know, the fact that we're we're always up to date with their accounts. So we, you know, we're very much a cloud based. You know, so most of our clients are small trading businesses. So they're on zero, and and the fact that we've. Um, you know we've always got their their numbers up to date and we're always on top of what's going on uh, you know the benefit that they can see from that is um, is just always you know getting a call saying hey look what's going on I, I can see that things have changed in the last month or the last week and maybe we need to have a chat about it and you know we, we just couldn't do that before because we were just snowed under with um, you know with work that was you know due last month that you know related to the previous financial year so by the time we we're talking to clients it was already too late to really sit down and do anything about their business so yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot of our clients have seen a big change.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Obviously, it is only you locally. So how has it given you more work-life balance?
1: Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's a, it's a massive. Um, it, it's definitely giving me more time. I don't know if I'd, I'd uh, say personally because that's that's more a choice on my behalf how I spend that free time, I guess. And and being a bit of a workaholic, I uh, I tend to kind of take that free time and then put it back into the business. But uh, you know, that's that's my choice. I love I love working. I love what I do, and and you know, taking on more work and doing more things for clients. But in terms of in terms of time, you know, there was a, there was a, that initial investment um of of getting the the team up and running over the first three to six months um but after that it's just been a a perpetual you know increase in in time in my life uh because it just takes very similar to my to my answer to the last question about what the clients get i get a similar thing is that it just takes uh you know kind of not the mundane but it it takes the the repetitive and and the general work that i don't want to be caught up doing uh it takes that off my plate so it just allows me to uh to, to get on with what I want to do and actually spend my time, like I said, whether it's work or personal, um, you know, it takes a it takes a lot of the work off my desk, which means I can uh, have a lot more time in general.
0: Yeah, great, great outcome. So, has our offshoring had a positive effect on your average hourly rate um, and your profit
1: to the business? Yeah, it, it has. It doesn't. Uh, again, we don't we don't charge we we charge really fixed or, or agreed fees, if you like to call it, with a lot of our clients. So, in terms of hourly rate, that we don't do a lot of hourly rate. Charging. So it's probably hard to to give you an answer on on the hourly rate kind of thing. Um, But in terms of profitability, it it definitely has because it's just, um, you know, because we value price or, you know, agree price and things like that, uh, the price to the client hasn't really changed based on, um, you know, our cost structure, that's the that's benefit that the business gets. So the clients are still paying what the value is for the work it is, um, regardless of who's doing that work. It's more about the outcome that we're able to produce for them, that's how we charge the client. And, and because of that, um, you know, and because of the cost structure, uh, you know, like I said before, especially now that we're a couple of years in and we're getting very efficient, um, you know, productivity and we're, and we're doing the jobs quite well. Um, it's it really has transferred into profit on on every job. So and you know, which obviously transfers into profitability in the firm in general. So it's definitely had a had a positive positive effect on profit for for the entire firm for, for nearly every job we do. That's
0: fantastic. So Ryan, what's one bit of advice that you would give your younger self from
1: a business point of view? Uh, from a business point of view, I'd have to say. I'd I'd have to say just just do it. You know, there's there's never a right time to to do something. Nothing, you know, the situation and the circumstances are never going to be perfect. So I think if I had to had have if I had to look back on uh, you know my business career over the last you know 15 or 20 years, I you know that would be the biggest that would be the biggest piece of advice. Don't procrastinate on decisions. Um, you you can never kind of plan out you know 100%. You can you never guarantee what the uh, what the outcome is going to be. You've just got to jump in there and do it and deal with the problems as they pop up and most likely, uh, you know, if you, if you take that approach and, uh, you know, you go in there with a positive attitude and, and work hard, it's going to work out for the best. So, yeah, if you've got a great idea or, or you want to make a change, just weigh up the, the options and don't procrastinate. Just jump in and get it done.
0: Excellent. And one bit of
1: advice you'd give your younger self from a personal point of view? From a, from a personal point of view, and I guess it. It applies a little bit to business as well is is just to uh to stop caring what people think of you uh, is probably what I'd say i've i've realized, I've realized that a lot in the last uh, in the last couple of years I, I think you know everyone grows up wanting to please their parents please their teeth. you know you kind of I think it's ingrained into into us as we grow up that you know we're there to to please other people and um, although you don't want to come out you know the other end being a, an arrogant selfish uh kind of a personality um you know I've come to realize that uh, you certainly don't want to go through your whole life pleasing other people and and uh, you know, doing things that are going to please everyone, because you know that's a that's a pretty common phrase that you hear that you, you can never please everyone. So um, you know, you just want to, you just need to find out what you need to do for yourself, and um, and and just do what makes you happy and and what's going to make you content and and you know satisfied with your life. And if that doesn't fit in with what uh, you know what other people think, then you've just got to stop caring about that.
0: Couldn't agree more. Other people's opinions are exactly that—they're their opinions. It's not the reality, and I think a lot of people struggle with this one around wanting to please people or wanting to, you know, be liked by everyone. And you know, the people can get caught up. So, you know, I'm fully on board with that one. So, you know, stop caring about what other people think, and you know, worry about the people that really care to you, and and understanding your true values, and and really being aligned to those. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to um, the offshoring piece. So, what is the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team
1: and is it true? No, not. Well, the, it's definitely not true, but I'll, I'll get into the myth. So, the, the myth would be like what I said um, a little bit earlier in terms of the cheap labour. So, people just thinking it's, um, you know, you're going into offshoring just because it's cheaper, um, not for any other reason. And maybe linked with that would be that the myth that, um, that offshoring is a transactional relationship. I think it's actually the exact opposite to that. I think that you know, and I've, I've had conversations with people and I'm not sure if, if everyone's on this uh, agrees with this, but the difference between say offshoring and, and outsourcing. Um, so we actually do some outsourcing, which is, um, and when I use the word outsourcing, it's kind of like if, if we get present, you know, if a client has some work that we don't have the skill set to do, we'll, you know, try and be the middleman or whatever and, and get another you know another company or an, or another professional to, to actually get that work done and we don't really have too much involvement other than you know forwarding on the client or or you know getting the work done whereas with offshoring it's really just having part of your team offshore and um it's it's not yeah, it's it's not about how cheap it is, um, and it's certainly not transactional. I think I've got a um, you know, we've we've built a fantastic relationship, you know, with the team offshore, and and I'd have to say that you know, in terms of the the relationship, I think we share um, and we care about each other, and and we actually know a lot more about each other than I've had with uh, you know many local teams that I've been uh, a part of in the past, and uh, you know that that was something that when I say it's a myth, it was actually one of my um. You know, what I thought before we did the offshoring as well is that I, I didn't think that, uh, and, and that really surprised me is that, you know, the, the ability to actually generate such a strong, you know, personal and professional relationship with the staff, um, you know, it's been amazing. It's been a real eye-opener. So, yeah, that's definitely the biggest myth from my point of view.
0: Yeah, cool. So, for someone looking to grow their business or their team, what's the best piece of advice that you've heard and implemented that you could pass on? So to
1: to grow, if someone's looking to grow their business, um, I'd say, and you know, by that, I kind of think, I first think to to growing clients and you know, and growing their fees. I'd say um, to to grow your business, I'd say care. I, I think caring about the outcome and the value that you're providing to the client, not just thinking about, you know, every time you do a tax return or a bit of accounting work or or whatever it may be, as a transaction where you're. You know, getting paid to do a service. It's it's more actually thinking what's the client getting out of this, you know, and, and making sure you care about the actual outcome, not just not just getting the job done. Um which again, you know, a lot of us especially when we're overwhelmed with with work and things, a lot of people just um, fall back into, you know, here's a bunch of work, it's a bunch of numbers on my desk and um, you know, we've just got to get it out the other door and and, and get it done and lodged or whatever it may be and, and not thinking about the the outcome. So it's a little bit of a uh, you know, a, a rule I've got off uh, Gary V in terms of the 51-49 rule. Just trying to actually provide 51% of the value, uh, you know, in every relationship that you're in. So you're still getting benefit. You're still getting the 49, but you know, whenever you go into a um, an interaction or a relationship with a client, just making sure that you care about the outcome. And um, you know you, you you're providing the maximum value that you can, and and I think that always just comes back in in terms of you know repeat business and referrals, and we've we've found that in ours is that we if we I wouldn't say over service our clients, but if you know if we really care and we really show that personal service and and uh, go above and beyond, uh, you know you only have to ask for for a couple of referrals, and um, you know the, the phone starts ringing off the hook in terms of uh, you know people ringing up to inquire about. Uh, what you What you can do for them because they've heard such great things from their their friends or their family um you know, and that's the the best way to get some warm leads uh you know straight into your business, no sales required because your clients are talking you up for you and um and then you know it also it also kind of takes away a lot of the friction with getting more business on board, I guess.
0: Yeah, look, I'm a I'm a massive Gary V fan. So, look, you saying that just you know it, it hits the sweet spot with me. But I think this is one of the challenges, Ryan, that I've seen in the industry is that people are just so busy. They're just you know constantly in the trenches that a lot of the time they forget about the end user being the client and we're here to serve the client and, you know, I love that point around, you know, giving them more value in every relationship and I couldn't agree more with it. So, what other piece of advice have you heard um, outside of that? Because that that care one is, you know, that's huge, that's one of the best I've heard. Um, any other tips that you've got that you'd love
1: to, that you've implemented that you'd love to pass on to our listeners? Uh, yeah, so in terms of building, I mean, the. The one that we just talked about, like you said, caring about your clients, I think, you know, I've found is the best way to build our business in terms of our clients. But in terms of building the team, uh, you know, the best piece of advice we've found works is is to systemize, I guess you'd call it. I, I said it before. I think many, you know, people just throw throw more people at the problem. They get more, you know, more work comes in the door and more clients. So they put on more accountants and, you know, think that that's, that's the best way to solve it. And that might work in the short term. Um, but I think in order to be able to really scale and, um, you know, b- build that business and build it profitably is is just to systemize what you're doing um, and, you know, instead of throwing people at it, look into systems and technology that can help out, uh, you know, we use, you know, zero receipt bank, electronic silent, uh, signing, um, you know, a whole bunch of things that really, uh, you know, weren't very commonplace until only the last few years and, um, you know, implemented them to be able to, you know, grow our business. The one uh, like i said before make it more profitable but also to be able to set up that foundation to um, you know grow the team um, and be able to onboard people have the procedures there for them to kind of read and, and get up to speed um, troubleshoot by themselves without a lot of uh, a lot of kind of hand attention and um, and that really helps not only from a general point of view but it's also going to help you a lot if you want to grow your team offshore Great advice. So, Ryan, we're going to finish off with a quick five-in-five. Five.
0: So, short and sharp questions. What cloud software does your firm use?
1: It's all cloud for, for one. So, it's a it's kind of it's a funny comment actually. I know that uh, you know even the, even the question of cloud software, um, I'm I'm one of those you know that kind of turn around and just say, well, who's who's not using you know what's not on the cloud? And and there's actually been a couple of times where that's actually popped up. Um, recently, where uh, yeah, a so software provider I found out there's there's something and it's not on the cloud, so we won't really use it because uh, everything we use is on the cloud. So we use uh, zero is 99% for our accounting, uh, bookkeeping kind of stuff. It's all zero, and then zero tax, which is is fantastic from a tax point of view. Um, Class super for the super funds, and then uh, receipt bank and Hubdoc. Um, mainly Receipt Bank, but a little bit of HubDoc for, for, you know, um, bookkeeping, processing and things have been fantastic. Uh, Now Infinity, we use for corporate compliance and that has been a game changer in in that space. Uh, And then Dropbox, we use Practice Protect, which is a security platform that we've implemented, which has been uh, fantastic. And um, Carbon for Workflow, uh, again, all all very new, but it's really transformed the way that we work. Uh, Practice Ignition, we use as as a firm in terms of, uh, fixed fee engagements with our clients' engagement letters and, and direct debiting on fixed fee engagements. And um, DocuSign, like I said before, everything's electronic. So, you know, in terms of moving signatures online, that's that's been great as well for for getting things signed. Uh, and, yeah, the last one I'd say is, you know, we, we deal a lot with the trade. So we use Tradeify, which is a, uh, a trade-specific uh, job management stuff that we use for a lot of our guys. So it's all on the cloud and um, a lot of it integrates together. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it's working very well for us. And it's exactly why you're able to set up the business that you have
0: where it's you locally and and having a global team, which, you know, all cloud-based just makes it so much easier, so much Mm. easier. So what's your favorite app?
1: favorite app at the moment totally totally non uh, accounting related but uh, it's actually NBA League pass so uh, in, NBA playoffs are on at the moment and uh, yeah I'm'm I'm str- I'm struggling to get uh, the, the productivity in the local offices uh, you know dropped through the floor over the last couple of weeks given the the, uh, the league passes on in the corner all the time um, but that's definitely that's definitely my favorite at the moment fantastic to keep up up to date with the basketball um, otherwise uh, getting, getting back to maybe not accounting related but professional or, or business related I'm, I'm a massive audible and, and a podcast addict, um, so I don't really read anymore. It's all audio books, um, and I think, I, I think I'm think i on a subscription where you get one a month or something, so constantly listening to something. And, um, yeah, like I said before, whether it's Gary Vee or, you know, the the Offshore Accountant um, podcast, or, you know, I'm, I'm a big, pod, big podcast fan, so I've always got the earbuds in, always, um, you know, listening to, to listening to some audio. Um, yeah, and, and then there's a few others, you know, YouTube and... Uh, uh, probably probably the other, you know, Skype and Brea, which is two that we use to communicate with, um, you know, offshore and then on, you know, offshore, whatever it is, the communication tools. Uh, but one other one that's probably out there is the, we actually have a Macquarie, credit card, and I've got the Macquarie Bank app, and every time uh, money gets spent on the credit card, I get a little notification saying, you know, here's the money, what was spent and how much and things, and I've had a few people that, you know, kind of think, you know, it's something a typical accountant would have, uh, you know, an app that gives you a notification every time you spend a dollar, but I've actually found it really, really interesting to to track my spending. Um, So, yeah, a couple of great apps there.
0: You know, that's awesome. That is uh, particularly the banking one, it, you know, it's scary when you actually analyse what you do spend <laughs> and where <Yeah>. it goes. <laughs> so, you all must read each week. Um, you mentioned you don't really read anymore. So, what are the the things, the audio that you are listening to on a weekly basis then?
1: Uh, on a weekly basis, yeah, you're 100% right. I don't I really don't read unless I can't get it in the audio format, which is pretty rare these days. So it's all audio. It's all uh, podcasts mainly. So I'll keep up to date. The From the Trenches accounting podcast that uh, the guys do down in Melbourne. Yeah, it's fantastic. I I really love that. I'm really, really... um, you know so impressed that they've they've been up to you know just put that together and i think it's keeping a lot of people connected and informed in, in the australian accounting industry so i highly recommend from the Fren- trenches podcast to listen to that every week um and then of course the offshore accountant podcast i've been loving that since you got started only a couple of <laughs> couple of weeks ago um yep. it's always good listening uh and then like i said before the the gary v audio experience always gets me uh, fired up and gives me some ideas to to really push the business to the next level so I highly recommend it
0: excellent and your favorite social media channel
1: yeah, social media. For myself, it's it's Instagram probably from a personal level, level to to stay in touch with family and keep up to date with friends. Um, I, I do like uh, Twitter and the the conversations. I uh, you know like what we said with with from the trenches. Follow Paul and and uh, and a few other guys. That it's great just to, to see the uh, correspondence, I guess you call it, or the or the interaction between those guys. So I love Twitter. Um, yeah, it's probably Instagram and Twitter are the two two of my favourite. I mean, for, talking business wise, you know, uh, especially because we. We specialize in trades. Facebook's really the better uh, platform in, in terms of, you know, marketing and, and trying to get out to, um, to clients. But personally, I, I, you know, Twitter and uh, Instagram are my two. Yeah, great. And favorite KPI? KPI, yeah, similar to what I said before. A simple one, but just um, getting getting jobs done on time because uh, I think that's the the overarching one for us. We know that uh, if we've planned it out well and budgeted well and and set the capacity correctly and done everything we need to do, if the jobs are going out on time, then um, you know the, the work's getting done and the, and the bills are getting paid and everything's everything's kind of functioning well if we're getting those jobs done on time.
0: Excellent. So how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to stalk your social media? What's the best way for them to, to find you? Uh, yeah, I didn't
1: say it before in the in the social channel, but LinkedIn, actually, I, I should have said LinkedIn. LinkedIn is definitely the best way to get in touch with me. So, yeah, uh, if you just Google my name or, or you know, go into LinkedIn, Ryan Adamsel, and, and you'll find me there, that's the best way to connect and get in touch. I like, uh, you know, that I use that to, to communicate a lot more than I even do email and things like that now professionally within the industry. So, to jump on LinkedIn and, and give me a buzz, that'd be great.
0: Excellent. And we'll put all your details in the show notes anyway. So, mate, that was awesome. Your answers were brilliant. There's, there's so much in what you're saying that people get out of it. So
1: I no, really yeah, appreciate right. you doing that. It's, uh, it's one of those things, mate. It's like what we talk about. We, we live it and breathe it every day. So you kind of think it's not very interesting. But hopefully, uh, you know, like I said, we chatted about a few things that might give some people some ideas. You know, I definitely will. Thanks, Ryan. No problem. Thanks for having me, Nick.
0: To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Sinclair, or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.